threats and problems I'm having because of my political reporting, which ended up in a way that is very difficult for me to work. I lost out on a whole lot of money and it's just simply not safe for me. Right now it's still safe, but the moment the conflict begins again, if I would remain in Thailand, there's a very high chance that I might get killed. Welcome to Brood in Bangkok, the podcast about the people you meet in the city that makes a hard man crumble. Things are changing in Thailand. Beating children in school is illegal. Two times there was an issue with my son being beaten by a teacher in school. I went to school and I threatened lawsuits if this doesn't stop. And the teacher then apologized and all that. Things are changing in Thailand. Welcome to Brood in Bangkok. This is your host, Carsten Eichholz. I'm here today with famous, or according to some people, infamous Nick Nosted. We are sitting here at Sweets Cafe, a nice little coffee shop drinking lemon and English breakfast tea. Nick, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? I've been here for almost ever. I've been 23 years in Bangkok, 28 years in Asia now. I take photos and I write. That sounds pretty straightforward. You wouldn't think that would entail a lot of problems. <laughs> Why well, can at times, you know, when you write about politics and the half and underworld taking photos, there can be sometimes some problems. I mean, actually, it's only the politics which gave me some problems. The underworld doesn't? Not really, no, no, no. No, they're like cool or... Well, because I just go with the flow. I don't try to force photos. I go with the flow. So I never really had any serious problems there. What is it like to photograph the underworld? You know, do they get invited? They're like, no, it's more like it's, you get known and you know when you can take photos and when you can't take photos. And it's, it's always a question of trust and knowing what is the right moment where you can take photos. So photographing underworld, does that mean you take pictures of illegal things happening or people who just did illegal things? At times, yeah. In 2000, my first book came out on the nightlife scenery, Patpong Bangkok's Twilight Zone. It's kind of a bit of a creative photo book with texts and collages. A lot of people said that I would get problems, but I never actually had a problem. I mean, it was even used as a teaching material in some university and, and a student used my photos or my book also for her, I think, communication design degree. So I never had a problem with her book. So that was in Thailand. People use that in Thailand. And yes, 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 yes. It was also sold in some bookstores here in Thailand. One bookstore didn't sell it, but other bookstores sold it. I didn't advertise the nightlife. It was like a bit of a realistic picture on how it is. It wasn't all, you know, great or all bad or in that sense, given a bad name to Thailand. It was just a very realistic image how it feels to be stuck in that nightlife. Were there any pictures where you were on the fence if you should include them? Well, there's a few naked images in there, yeah, but I didn't have a problem. I mean, I have planned, I mean, since the last 16 years, I've been working on a follow-up book on that, which expands, which is also part of the nightlife, but it also goes into crime and drugs and in a similar sort of a closeness. My philosophy with that kind of work is from the inside looking out, not like the journalistic way of looking from the outside in it's more like the other way around it's like from the inside out so i don't know if it's going to give me problems or not i mean the photos there are to some part a lot harder what does your partner think about your work she doesn't like that <laughs> yeah she doesn't like it but she knows it's it's my work i mean like we, when we met i've already taken these photos so it's but she obviously she doesn't like that night that kind of a life Does that give you a reputation of working in that area? Does your involvement in that area do something to you? Or 
it's difficult to say. That is what I've been doing for such a long time. I mean, it's natural for me. I've been doing that since, God, I mean, the first photos I've been taking about, I don't know, 26, 27 years ago. So how did you start with that? I know I always liked um, photographers like like uh, Cartier-Bresson, who took photos of of that nightlife in Paris, uh, turn of the century, early twenty up to early twenties. VG in New York, and then Golden. Mm, it's very strong photos and it's very strong subject matters. I mean, in a sense, I mean, it's just like it's naked life. It's fascinating. It's psychologically fascinating. Do you think of doing a follow-up in terms of the people you worked with back then? No, I think in sort of a continuation. I continued taking photos and expanded it and also like into crime and grime. So I've been six years with these protecting. They are always misnomed as the body snatchers. Mm -hmm. Been with the um, rescue volunteers for approximately six years and I took a lot of photos there on all sorts of crime and grime. Murder scenes, gang fight scenes, car accidents. I didn't take photos. I helped because it was not really a focus of my work. Uh, we're talking about the volunteers who basically replace a role that ambulances have. Yes, yes. Well, they are sort of. Yes, yes, yes. What do you think about that? I mean, when I first came here, I'm like, really? All your ambulances are like volunteer services? I mean, they have a very bad reputation, which is to some part slightly earned, but to another part completely unjustified. Main issue here is without these ambulances, people wouldn't get to the hospital. Which number have you saved when you get hit by a bus? Well, I hope I, I don't want to, I don't plan on getting hit by a bus. <laughs> I mean, if I get hit by a bus, I guess somebody else has to go. But the system functions actually quite well. I mean, um, every area in Bangkok has, has these ambulances and especially at night, the response time is, is very quick. Especially in inner Bangkok, the response time is 10 minutes or something. It's very, very quick. So you think it's a good system? Obviously, every system is open to improvements. But I would say it's a system which is quite a lot better than in many countries in the region. I mean, since it's volunteer services and different districts are controlled by different volunteer groups, do you think that there is a difference in quality of care that you're receiving if you are being getting picked up? If you, let's say, compare it to to the care in a modern Western country, it is a very basic care. But if you compare it, let's say, to the care you would get in Cambodia, it's a whole lot better. I mean, it is basic care, which is improving somewhat slightly. But it is, in the end, people get to the hospitals. And at some point you said, photographing crime scenes is not dangerous enough. Let's go photograph political rallies. No, it's not about that. Politics started moving to the streets. So, and I thought it was going to be a major political crisis, major political um, changes, so not only political, also social changes in this country. And uh, as a photographer, as a writer, journalist, that happens just in front of my doorstep. So I want to see, I want to report on this. I want to learn about this. So in your eyes, you were there on the street already, when politics came into your territory? Sort of, yes. I mean, if, if politics would have remained in a parli in parli into parliament, um, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be too bothered about it. I, I don't particularly, it's like, if it's in parliament, then you don't need my talents to report on it. How, does you, how do you feel your work is different in those two fields? How, how do you feel your work is different between photographing nightlife who controls the night and who controls the day 
no, it's 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 completely different approach. Um, my work on politics is a very journalistic approach, a very journalistic documentarian approach, where I where I stick very closely to the rules of journalism, the ethics of journalism, while my work on the nights is much more creative, subjective, and um, definitely not journalistic. Does that mean you pick sides at night? It's not about taking sides. It's about having a very subjective viewpoint. You can't really compare it in that sense. Also, visual language is quite different. I, I do in the night. I work with much more creatively than, than I, would, I would want to work in, in a political situation. And so what's your threshold? Like, what drives you to take pictures in both of those situations? First of all, I want to, I want to learn about it. I mean, from, and of course, then, I mean, it's my job to, to communicate. And I think, I think you say, we talked about the differences. Night photos, I mean, that's a subject which is very open to creative work, where historical political developments have to be framed very differently and within within journalistic frames and not creatively. I don't want to, let's say, I mean, the, the subject matter I think is too important to just make art out of it. What are you willing to accept to do the kind of work you're doing? Because I assume a lot of other people would have just called it quits. You have received very serious threats for your work. Well, yeah, I was beaten up. I was nearly kidnapped. That's where you draw the line? Sort of, yeah, but it's like, it's like, you, for, for me, that's already unacceptable. But when you are, when, when the, all that is happening, there's not really much you can do about it. I mean, it's also not that I haven't known about that it's going to happen. I, I knew that it's going to happen. But it's, it's like, it's like watching, watching, watching a train crashing. It's difficult to say. I mean, it's like you grow into it, but there's nothing you can do about it. It's just part of the game. You could stop. That could have been even worse. You think so? Well, if you stop, you isolate yourself, and then it's a lot easier for your enemies to do something very, very bad to you. Then they wouldn't have any motivation anymore, right? Yeah, but, but you have to understand you have to understand the Thai context here. You have to understand Thai context. You have to understand that the Thai context. It's not like, you know, you just withdraw. I mean, people will, there's still a lot of people who will still hate you. And if you basically stop and disappear from the scene, you make it a lot more easy for them to do something very bad about it. And also for me, it's a question, it was at that time a question also of dignity. I, I, I was beaten up and hate campaigned. And, and um, for me, it's absolutely unacceptable. So it's a matter of principle. In some ways, yeah, it's a matter. It's, it's also a matter. One day, is, one way, it's a matter of survival. As I said, um, if you completely withdraw, then it's a lot easier for your enemies to do something against you. And um, on the that's one thing. And on the other hand, um, well, it's a matter of principle. I, I was also thinking, you just like imagine they were would have been successful to completely push me out of the field. Um, any the next journalist they don't like, they would have done the same and the same and the same. And I, th I think I was in a much better. I mean, before I remember, like after 2010, they did a similar thing to Dan Rivers from CNN, who in the end left the country, uh, but basically more or less disappeared from the scene. And and so they had success already with mobbing one journalist out of the game. Now I think I'm in a much better position to fight against them because I've enormous amount of networks, friends, knowledge on Thai society, also the nastier aspects on Thai society, that I'm in a much better position to, to, to resist that. That if they do that again, before they do that again with another journalist they don't like, that they have to think very hard before they do that again. Because the effects, see, for me it was like, it was, they did a lot of damage to me, but I wanted to make sure also that 
their action damages themselves more than it damages me. What what happens behind the scenes there? I mean, I imagine when that happens to you, it's not only happening to you, but there's like your friends, your family members. I think we got a... I'm still okay here, sort of. So we, it's starting to rain. We actually... Nick smokes. Oh, he does. He does. And I'm and I'm I'm facilitating it. I'm just rolling one now. I'm facilitating it by actually meeting him outside. Since it's Bangkok, it won't just be a bit. It's probably just gonna pour cats and dogs. We'll just harbor under an umbrella and hope that this is not gonna flood everything. If you don't mind me asking, when did you pick up smoking? Since I was 13 years old. Since you were 13? Yeah, yeah. Did you want to be one of the cool kids or? Nah, I just like smoking. I still like smoking. I, I'm not one of these self-hating smokers who constantly babble on about they having to having to quit smoking. I, I don't. I mean, I when I smoke too much, I want to reduce my smoking, but I don't want to quit. I like smoking. I like also. I mean, you see, I do. I, I changed now back into rollies since about three four years. I like the ritual aspect of of, of doing rollies, so I like to smoke. I enjoy smoking. I think you're the first person who I'm, you know, first smoker who I meet to like. I know a lot of self-hate smokers who've been like convinced by general opinion uh, that smoking is the most horrible thing in, in life. And well, yeah, I know it's not the most healthy thing. Do you think there'll be a day where you'll regret it? I don't know. Who knows? I mean, right now I, I enjoy smoking. I don't want to quit. Right. So we're talking about danger to your life and your health. I mean, you already smoke. I would imagine if I get beaten up. I, I mean, I just write a blog and my parents urge me to be careful. For example, you see my wife, you know, you know, when I was beaten up, that was shown live on TV. They didn't cut this. They didn't have time to cut the signal. So my wife saw it live on TV as well. And it's like, like five minutes after she calls me and screams in my phone Nick you don't give in to these bastards fight these bastards he was very pissed off with that so so was I that was the behind the scenes commentary my wife yeah my wife yeah she was very pissed off do you have relatives in Germany who you talk to about this no well, what do they say well they, my life is quite foreign to them so you take that with a grain of salt what they say or well i mean it's like there's not much they can say i mean like you know it's, i made my choices and none of my relatives has any sort of an experience which which comes close to what what my life is so when all that took place i mean, I, I didn't have time you know it's like you you have to choose the people you list whose advice you listen to and and i listen to the people who who who, who, who know I mean, first of all, colleagues, of course, colleagues I respect, people like Jonathan Head and all that. Um, other people who, who know the scenery very well and who advise me then on what to do and what not to do. What kind of advice do you get from your colleagues? First, on my work, of course. I constantly have to make sure that I'm still within the journalistic framework, that whatever I'm doing doesn't break journalistic ethics. Also, I got a lot of support, especially of the Foreign Correspondents Club, which is issued statements, human rights organizations, journalist press organizations who issued statements. You know, I've, I've made sure from the beginning that I will fight these efforts of hate campaigning me. I will not just stand by. What's the right word in English? I've, I've always been a bit blockheaded. It's a question of justice as well. 
and dignity. You're not only a photojournalist that is in the limelight, you're also an everyday citizen, which probably makes out the majority of your time. And as an everyday citizen, I was very, very pissed off. I'm still very, very pissed off. I'm very angry about that. How do people treat you on a daily basis that are not, you know, related to your work? Well, as you know, I think about Thailand, you know, in Thailand, there's like a lot of respect for privacy. It's a cultural thing, I would say. And so, so people treat me normal. Well, sometimes people recognize me. I mean, sometimes you see there's people who don't like me. They don't like me. You see it in their faces. Sometimes there's people who like me and they, they comment positively, but they are not really that much in my face. They are very friendly and polite with it. I mean, this is a beautiful thing about Thailand that there's a, quite a lot of respect for, for other people's privacy. You think that would be different in another country? I guess so, yeah. What's your experience outside of your work with Thailand? You have a family, you have a son. Yes. Who goes to school here, right? Yes. For a lot of expats, for example, it's always a question about sending their kids to school here. Lots of expats say, oh, I don't want to go to Thailand, I'd rather go to Singapore. Or Well, you can't compare me with those people. See, I, I live my life here in Thailand, is what you would say in Europe, integrated. I speak Thai, I live in a Thai neighborhood, I have Thai friends. Um, you don't hear me moaning and groaning about little little things in daily life in Thailand. I enjoy life here. I like life here. You like Thai people? Yes, I do. I mean, the longer I live here, the more I like people here. Well, there are some people I don't like, of course, but that's only part of being integrated. But uh, but generally, yeah, I, I like I like. There's a lot of things about Thailand which I like a lot. I mean, like what I just mentioned is respect for other people's privacies. Or if you live in a normal Thai neighborhood, the community sort of a lifestyle. You know, it's like neighbors come to visit you. Um, people eat together. People know each other. Um, there is not such an alienation from your fellow human being as in many places in the West nowadays. So I enjoy that a lot. What about the things that people usually criticize, like the schooling system? School is always shit. I hated school. So, uh, but in a sense, I mean, like, I'm not. You know, obviously, there's always room to improve for improvement. But I'm not as critical. I mean, I mean, just look at it. I mean, just you see part now of the political conflict of modern political the socio-political conflict of the past 10 years um, you see there's a lot of uh, 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 there's a lot of ties who have enormous abilities to think and think critically as well now if that's is, you look at the economic development of thailand as well you know if the school system would be that bad thailand would not be that developed as it is now you wouldn't have this social political conflict which is quite complex and where people you know if you follow the discussions and the discourse it's a complex discourse um, 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 so it isn't that bad I look at my son my son constantly argues about anything and everything with you or with, with your my teachers with me with my wife with the te with everybody it isn't that bad I mean it's, it's for me I feel sorry for my son because the school demands a whole lot, a lot of hours every day. In homework or in... Uh... No, just, just being in school already. Just a lot of hours. But I've heard that it's in the West, it's nowadays the same. Um, but but I'm not, you know... I mean, obviously there are issues which I don't particularly like. For example, like some of the militarization that they have to... Um, 
stand uh, every morning uh, at a flag and things like this. But I think it's essent my job as, as, as parents to counter that a little bit by not being that militaristic at home. So it's a laissez-faire at home where you're like, you know, do, do what you like. No, it's, it's, we have to set limits, but we, we're not giving him the nationalistic education at home. We don't have that at home. But there are, of course, limits, consequences as well. I mean, there is house arrest at times. There are times when he, when the TV is switched off or things like this. So that's normal being a parent. But, but it's, it's, I'm not that negative about it. You see, see, I look at it like this. For example, I mean, even in village Thailand, I look at, I look at some of my nieces and nephews who I've known since they were born or since they were like small babies. One niece of mine, for example, is now entering university. She, from my wife's family, she's from a very poor background. Well, now she's, she's entering university. She's incredibly smart. Other nieces and nephews who flunked out of school, but they were still intelligent enough that the, the moment when they came to work in Bangkok, for example, the first money they got, they bought themselves a smartphone, phone, and within five minutes, they were already online, Facebook, made Facebook friends. So, so it isn't, the education isn't that bad. So, but aside from the practical education, I mean, my concerns, for example, would be that talent in schools is very authoritarian. I do, I do prison visits sometimes. And I remember someone commenting once that for Thais it's easier to get along in prison here than in um, for Westerners because for Thais it seems like this do what you're told thing is something they've been used to for a long time. So <sighs> is this a strong authority? And I would imagine that if I had kids here, if they would be halfway as independent and as strong-minded as I would like them to be, they would be constantly in trouble with their teachers. Things are changing in Thailand. Beating children in school is illegal. Two times there was an issue with my son being beaten by a teacher in school. I went to school and I threatened lawsuits if this doesn't stop. And the teacher then apologized and all that. Things are changing in Thailand. Do you think that was in that in any way was influenced by you being a foreigner? No. That teacher hitting a kid is is the exception. Well, it's now, well, see, it only, I don't know how many years ago it was made illegal before it was, but look at it back in, in Europe also. I mean, I, I had a problem in, 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 in early 80s in boarding school when I was, I was like one of the, in one of the very bad boarding schools in Etal for one and a half years and I was beaten to a pulp. By your teachers? The prefects, the prefects. In Germany? Yeah, yeah. When was that? 81, 82, somewhere like that. Yeah, that, that scandal which came out in 2010, Etal was one of the main schools in that scandal, and one of them um, in Etal as well. Not of the sexual abuse of the, I was I was I was by 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 the beatings. So in a sense, I mean, like, I'm not as negative about schooling as many others seem to be. I mean, I see my son; he still enjoys. He plays with his friends. He learns. I read on your Facebook that you're moving back to Germany. Yeah. Was that driven by your son's education? No, not at all. Um, two factors. Factor number one, in my profession, it's more and more difficult to make money. And that was compounded by the second factor, the threats and problems I'm having because of my political reporting, which ended up in a way that it's very difficult for me to work. I lost out on a whole lot of money and it's just simply not safe for me. Right now it's still safe, but the moment the conflict begins again, if I would remain in Thailand, there's a very high chance that I might get killed. As simple as that, because I'm also not going to just completely withdraw, crawl on my knees to my enemies and beg for my life. I'm not going to do that. 
I mean, this is, as I said, it's a question of dignity. Out of personal safety, you decide, okay, you have to move back to Germany. Yeah. I mean, with my son's education, that wouldn't be a factor. I see a lot of young people in Thailand go to school, go to university, and become great human beings. Does your son speak German? Uh, nah, we, we, we tried to have him, we have, we tried, but it just didn't work, you know, uh, to have him bilingual because, as I said, it's like kind of, I'm living a very integrated life in a Thai neighborhood. There is no Germans around. The school he goes is a private, um, not too expensive Thai, private Thai school. Uh, my, our family language, we speak Thai at home. I sp always spoke Thai with my wife. So the problem is your Thai is too good. I guess so, yes. <laughs> well, that's a, in a way a good problem to have. So you looked at moving back to Germany. You haven't been in Germany for a few years. and you've Previously, I was regularly in Germany. I tried to be there at least once a year. And with my wife or family then later, at least um, once every two years. Because I knew one day there may be a point coming when we'll have to leave to Germany. And so I always wanted, you know, I try to keep, you know, contacts to friends and family, um, not making the mistake like quite a few people do that they, you know, lose all contact, they break bridges, which was in a way a blessing in disguise. But then in 2000, early 2012, January 2012, my father died. Then I didn't really have a home anymore in Germany, so it was very difficult to go there. About four years I wasn't in Germany anymore until recently when I made a trip there to prepare for my move. And so that was quite a bit of a culture shock. Because <laughs> a lot of, lot of, also a lot of things happened in these four years in my life. Can you describe what that is like, that reverse culture shock you're experiencing when you go back to your home country after having been abroad for so long? Well, the first, the first two days I was just walking around with big, oh, big white eyes and just sucking things in. It was just quite, quite something. Like as a tourist? No, it's like, like as an alien visiting a strange place. <laughs> And in a good way, or? Well, the first couple of days in a good way, yeah. Well, first, initially, the plan was, the idea was that we move up, up country to a rural area. Um, and that one, yeah, didn't really work out. I was one week there, and I realized that I can't live there. You're going from Bangkok to a village in Germany. How did you notice that, okay, this is not going to work? Because, because um, um, isolation and, um, you know, lack of contact, social contacts and all that. Wouldn't that build up over time? Yeah, but, but you see, I mean, like in the way how I've lived the last 30 years, even though we may speak the same, la same language, we don't speak the same language. It's very difficult. So, so, in, so I decided then to... The, the idea about why moving to a rural area was also because the difficulties of finding an apartment in my hometown in Munich. Well, now I decided then to go live in Munich, but the difficulty remains of finding an apartment. What about up and coming, oh, well, not really up and coming, but very international, well-known big cities in Germany like Berlin? I don't like Berlin. I never liked it. And I don't think it's such an international city. Berlin is well known to be quite rude. Personally, I just don't like it. I don't. I've was there once. I don't like it. Um, the mentality in Berlin is is a bit different. Most of the times when I work with when I had to work with a writer from Berlin, it was like very difficult, because the Berlin way of thinking is just with the head through the wall. That just doesn't work here in in Southeast Asia. 
and there was a lot of times when there was a lot of difficulties uh, with writers from Berlin where it just been like when they couldn't get something that they tried to force the issue which made even the, made it even more problematic um, and it's just uh, you see I grew up in Munich it's a very different mentality it's interesting that you would describe in Germany these mentalities that are so different between individual cities whereas you know Outsiders would just see Germans as a bunch of guys in lederhosens who, you know. Well, I don't give a fuck what outsiders think. I mean, you go, for example, to Hamburg, and in Hamburg you have another very, another hugely different Germany. Hamburg is, they always say, when it rains in London, in Hamburg people get a cold. Uh, humor is very British. It's a very different mentality again. Which I actually even prefer over the mentality in Munich, but the thing is, I've been born in Munich. I have a lot of still friends there, some family. My wife was often in Munich. She feels comfortable there. And Munich has a stunning countryside, very close to Italy, Austria, which I like a lot. You're one hour to the mountains, less than an hour sometimes to the mountains. That sounds like a nice place to live. It is when you find an apartment which you can afford. What about working? Working? Well, I mean, I guess we'll have to live from the income of my wife then, because my wife has a profession where you can actually do something. My wife is a cook. Huh. Thai and Chinese kitchen. So, so I will try to continue working as a photographer, but I know that it will be more or less impossible to actually make a living from it. I would be very astonished if I could do that. Because what I was thinking is that the very thing that makes your life here so difficult is also the reason why, in a way, you can make a living from it. Because there are things happening, intense developments. I remember when I first came here, I thought, I don't know, reading Thai news is kind of interesting because if I read German news, I read about parties arguing about if health insurance should be 13.4% or 13.7% of income. Not really material difference to people, but here it's like the stakes seem to be much higher. Yeah, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you can make money from it because there's always long periods where nothing really happens of interest to, let's say, the Western media machine, and then I don't make any money. And then when things happen, like in 2010, then I can make quite a bit of money. But when things happen, like in 2013, 2014, when I get beaten up and hate campaigned and cannot get close to, let's say, the yellow shirts where the money in the reporting was in, I couldn't make any money. And I lost enormous amounts of money. Would it be for you feasible to go to other areas in the world to photograph there? The same way, no. Why is that? See, I'm, what I'm good is, is, is um, getting, my, getting myself really into a subject matter and work from that aspect. You see, in a world where, where they... See, I'm not an adrenaline junkie who needs to go to some war zone and take pictures of fighting. I mean, here, obviously, in, 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 in the clashes in Bangkok, I was always very close when there was gunfire and shootings and all that. I was always very close, but that was because it was part of that whole thing. I didn't go particularly to get photos of people getting shot. I mean, I enjoy more going to... See, my latest story I did, um, um, publishing New Mandala there, it was about the opening of the, um, of the um, referendum monitoring center by the UDD. Uh, I enjoy that as much, if not more, than going into a clash. I mean, honestly, I mean, like, the clashes, when, when people die, I, I don't enjoy that at all. But it, I have to be there because it's part of that whole thing. 
So, you know, other parts of the world. So, so right now there's a war going on in Syria. Well, hell, I'm not going to go there. I mean, what do I do there? I mean, just take another photo of somebody getting killed and somebody getting injured, not understanding the language, not knowing the intricacies. First of all, the personal risk is too high. And secondly, I'll just supply uh, 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 raw material to a superficial media machine. I'm not interested in that. I'm not interested. When I'm working on a subject matter, I want to understand about it, learn about it. And my photos and my writing is a result of my learning process. And it's not just to supply a superficial media machine with raw material. So when you leave Thailand, you give all that up? Well, then I have to find something new. But I'm not completely giving up because I have to write like a book and I have to, there's a lot of things I got to do there about that. Sometimes, you know, you got to change. There has to be changes in life. Good or bad, we'll see in the future. I mean... There's a lot of things, you know, which I'm definitely going to miss terribly. But there's also some things which I'm looking forward to. Like? New subject matters I can, you know, in Germany, there's a lot of interesting things taking place. Learn about it and take photos of that. If you hadn't become a photographer, what do you think you would be today? I don't know. I was, since, I was, since, since I was old enough, I was always wanting to be a photographer. Never anything else in the cards? Nah, not really. So you'll be photographing when you get back home? I hope so. Do you call it home? This is a very difficult question because I feel right now I feel more at home here in Bangkok than in Germany. I mean, I spent more years in Bangkok than in Germany. I spent more years in Asia than in Germany. I'm 48 now. I spent 28 years and a bit in Asia, 20 years in Germany. So that'll be a challenge. It'll be a challenge, yeah. I need another cigarette. <laughs> oh, man, that's going to be expensive in Germany, right? No, because I smoke also German tobacco here. Really? Yeah. You buy German tobacco? Well, it's like sometimes friend of mine, friends of mine send it to me, and th this one I still have, with, which, which I bought in Germany when I was just recently there. I'm used to German supermarkets, which are like the cheapest supermarkets in the world. I remember when I was in university, bought like a half a kilogram of noodles for like 40 cents, can of pesto, and that was your lunch for the next four days, and you just spent $2. We just got used to that. People always talk about life here being very cheap. You know, of course, if you buy noodle soup in the street, it's not going to be matchable by, you know, eating out in Germany. But if you go into a supermarket and just buy cheese, wine... Not just that, already, uh, when we talk about meat... Vegetables is a lot more expensive in the markets here than in Germany. I don't know why that is so, but it is so. Because a lot of people in Germany say, say to me, oh, life where you live, it's so cheap. But no, it isn't that cheap. I mean, when you talk, for example, eating noodle soup on the streets, well, the quality of street food in Thailand went down quite considerably con compared to what it once was. And that is because the profit span of the um, food stall owners um, went down quite a bit. So, so they have to buy cheaper ingredients, use sometimes food which otherwise before they would have thrown away. So I rarely eat on, I mean, there's only very few selected food stalls I actually do eat. I, I like good foods. So you eat home-cooked meals? Most of the time, yes, or then in better places. I mean, there's a couple of food stalls I do eat. For example, I love the Kauman guy in Patunam. Uh-huh. It's the best Kauman guy in, in Bangkok. Wow. That's, that's an endorsement. So after 23 years in Thailand, that's the best chicken rice you found. 
No, it's it's, it's just well known. It's, it's it's quite famous. That's it's quite famous that place. But my wife has, I think, the same recipe. Her her chicken rice is about as good as, as that ooh, one. Ooh, that's that's a, a bold claim. My wife learned in a very very good uh, Thai Chinese restaurant. And she'll be showcasing that in Germany. I hope so. That's the plan. Uh, I'll try it. I'll, I'll go to Munich. I, I live about three hours from Munich. I'll go there and I'll have a. But, but it's like we have to take it step by step because because it's 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 moving after such a long time to Germany is it's so difficult and so many levels. I mean, just to, just forget just just about the personal how difficult personally it is, but also the organizational aspects of it. I mean, like the fight we had to go through just even to be there that we are close to be able to leave is enormous. What was the fight? Well, the first problem was the adoption of our son. Usually, it should have taken about one year, but it took us three years. Your son is? The son of my wife's niece. Oh, okay. But he's been with us since he's seven months old, so we are his parents. But there was there was some, I guess, enemies of mine have delayed that adoption. There was no legal problem with the adoption, but there was political problems. People helped me, and so we sorted that out. But it was, it was you know, how frustrating that was. Obviously, we had to go through. Fortunately, I had a lot of support from the German embassy. They they helped me. I mean, all through that time, whatever they. I mean, they couldn't do that much because the embassy is very limited. But what they could do, they did. What can an embassy actually do for its foreign citizens? Inviting me, going, um, showing that you and their good graces. Yes, and that if something happens to me, that would not be seen favorable favorably okay. exactly so so and they also also just you know giving me moral support and as well so so they were very good to me the german embassy also helping me advising me about how that we can get the visa for my wife and my son they're very nice with that so that's interesting i mean even though you have such a good relationship with the embassy same rules apply of course well, let me say, in my case, with the German embassy, they were, let's say, maybe more supportive. But then there was a reason that they had to be as well, because who wants to have a dead, dead German journalist here? Um, um, but but I still had to uh, uh, had to fill in the paperwork. I still had to um, uh, fulfill all the all the. Um, norms i mean there was an issue about my wife with the language test but um, um uh, then we had uh, we had very perfect perfectly understandable reasons that she could not pass the la necessary language test for which also legally there are um, there are exceptions and my wife fell under one of these exceptions so it's so we have to fulfill all the things i mean also now the next step for me is that's going to be the next big battle in Germany to find an apartment in Munich. I mean, it's not like that in Germany, you know, I'm coming and everybody just expects me and waits for me. But so I approached, I approached the municipal government with my situation and um, um, they saw the problem and they understood the problem and um, helped me then basically also to get into... Um, that I can get was was in you know German the German equivalent of council housing that I can at least register for it that I'm qualified to register so so I have to go through the loops. It's not like that I'm privileged there in any way. What required you to go to the council? Um, see, in a free market in Munich, um, uh, the housing the housing situation in Munich is absolutely terrible. You cannot uh, 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 there is not enough housing. Um, the free market 
affordable housing is just not there anymore. And the few which are even 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 something which I which normal people couldn't afford. I mean, there's um, it's insane. I mean, for each apartment which gets on the market, there's like 30, 40 people who are trying to get that apartment. Uh, uh, there's just, with my CV, there's just no way for us to get an apartment. Even you have to keep your CV. Yeah, like they ask for your CV. Yeah, 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 yeah. Wow, I remember when uh, uh, when I started looking for apartments in Frankfurt which in some ways might be comparable to Munich. Both are banking cities in Germany. I remember calling up one landlord, and I was actually renting an apartment with my business partner. Uh, we called him up and was like, oh, yeah, so um, me and him are looking for an apartment. <laughs> and one landlord was like, oh, we don't do that. I mean, most of my friends in Munich, they either live for the last 20 years in the same place and still have the old rental contracts, or they bought apartments, which even that is now difficult. I mean, I've heard, I've heard that even buying an apartment, owners then call in like a dozen prospective buyers and just auction it off. Uh, in a situation like mine, um, we'll be homeless. But there's also no way that we can wait until, I don't know, some apartment falls from the sky. So in about two months, we'll be in Munich. Either they we get in council flat until then, or we will um, have to declare ourselves homeless. Well, let's hope that's not going to happen. Let's hope so, yeah. Well, I mean, then, then the city would be forced to put us up in some bed and breakfast or something like that, which is also not the nicest thing. Well, they are forced to do that? Yeah, by law, I think. Huh. Like, they have to provide you with housing? Uh, accommodation, not housing. <laughs> Uh, there's homeless shelters, but if you're a family with a child, that's not the right place. So, so usually I think I've heard they put you up in some bed and breakfast, but I hope, I mean, I filled my registration. I filled with a registration form for a council apartment, send it off and hope something happens. I very much hope so. Well, I wish you all the best for that. Let's hope this works out for you. And so do I. That would be a new experience being homeless. But it's it's like, what can you do? I mean, like it's it's you got to go through. I mean, it's like I'm already that we are able to move, that we have the visas, that we have the adoption. When we started all that, I didn't think that we can manage. How long did that take? Such a long time. Years. Years. Such a long time. At times, very very frustrating, very depressing. So now you feel upbeat. Well, sort of, but it's still not that we can sit back and relax. I mean, we're there, I mean, you say, or just even, even trying to find, I mean, obviously, I don't want to leave my possessions behind, so, so I have to find the most reasonable pricing for getting a container and ship our stuff over to Germany, which I think I found now quite reasonably. For expats usually, when the company pays for it, they pay door by door 10,000 euros or something. I heard that's the first question moving companies ask. Do you pay yourself or does your company pay? Which company? Well, I just spoke with I I I've tried sp spoken and 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 basically I was I, I researched the whole thing and it's basically I'm not going to use a moving company because they only have these packages and they are terribly expensive, um, and so I went to a freight forwarder where I have to do customs and these kind of things I have to do myself I have to pack myself I have to load my stuff in the comp container myself unload it myself, do the customs um, declarations and inspections myself, and I save a whole lot of money. And you'll busy, be busy for a while to come. You know, I, I can't afford 10,000 euros for... for, for <laughs> That's a steep price. <laughs> so I can't, but then I don't want to leave my possessions behind. 
Well, then I hope you get it all sorted out. Thank you very much for making it here today. No problem. It was a real pleasure talking to you, Nick. I wish you and your family all the best for your move to Germany. Thank you. And also hope to see to see your pictures and to taste your wife's cooking. One day, <laughs> One day yes. <laughs> okay, thank you very much. All right. Bye-bye.